You're listening to the Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Amen. Will you turn to your neighbor and say, get ready? Come on, turn to your neighbor and make sure. Look at him and say, get ready. Every person, get ready. Yesterday we had our Thanksgiving feed and we gave uh, 800 meals away to families. Thank you for all those who came and helped. Apparently we now are drinking Alene water. It's pure drinking water though. The Lord can take a casino and make it holy. Praise the Lord. Praise God. There you go, buddy. It's, it's holy water. Oh, well, this morning I have a message that I want to speak to you on forgiveness. Um, but before I do, the Lord began speaking to me yesterday as I was just spending time in prayer, praying into this morning. How many people know that we need daily encounters with the Lord? Yesterday, my kids wake up, they come down, or they were up before me, Saturday. Saturday, I sleep in on Saturdays. And they woke, they were before me, I came downstairs after spending time with the Lord, and I looked at Israel, who's 10, and I looked at Charlie, who's 8, I said, now go have your daily encounter with the Lord and tell me what happens and come back. So they go up and they spend time with Jesus and then they'll come back and tell me what he says and we'll talk about what Jesus is speaking to all of us. You need to have daily encounters with the Lord every day, spending time with him. This here is not to sustain you for the rest of your life or for the rest of your week. You need daily encounters with the Lord. Everybody say, I need daily encounters with Jesus. The Lord spoke to me yesterday as I was praying and he said, Aaron, I want you to read this message to your church. And it's this, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I'm going to say it again. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. In today's world, we have access to any type of information, communication, uh, videos, uh, websites, and you name it, that will try to convince us what is happening in the world today and what is about to happen in the world today. And we have a lot of Christians who are acting out of a place of fear. Fear because they are absorbing all of this information rather than simply absorbing the Word of God. And it's time that we begin to read this a whole lot more that we pay attention to what's happening in the world. Eight of you agree with me. Now, I read the news every single morning. I read the news to find out what's happening in the stock market, what's happening in the world, what's happening in politics, what's happening globally. But I read it to inform me, not to form me. And the moment I start responding in fear, I'm listening to the wrong voice. There is a very blurry line between fear and self-described wisdom. A lot of people are acting out in wisdom, but it's really based in fear. And people say, well, I listen because I need to know what's happening. I listen because I need to know what's happening in the world and what's happening today. I know of a scripture that says the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it tells me what's happening where I am and it instructs me of where I'm to go. I don't need any news outlet to tell me where things are going. I have the word of God to do that just fine. 
It's really quiet. About eight of you are thankful for what I'm saying. Rather, the rest of you are still trying to figure out if, if that's the Lord. We have a church today, Capital C Church at large, that does a great job of listening to pastors who have closed their church for a year and a half or listening to prophetic people who are underneath no spiritual covering, but they find them on social media and they don't listen to the word of the Lord. I have people come to me and they say, well, pastor, are you, are you going to stay? Are you going to stay like in Washington? Because you know it's getting crazy politically. Are you going to stay here? See, I serve a God who places light people in dark places. So it shouldn't surprise me when he places me in a world that seems dark. In fact, when an opportunity is presented to advance against the gates of hell, I know they will not prevail. Thus I have no fear because he has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And we, we have a 21st century church that's, that's so focused on trying to like, not ruffle feathers. Imagine what we would have done to Paul and Silas when they kept getting thrown into prison like, hey, bro, I think you're missing the point here. I think you're not supposed to be in jail. You're supposed to appease the leaders and try to gain influence and power. What would we have said to Daniel when Daniel opened up his window and he started to pray, knowing that the king said anybody who prays to a different God will be thrown into a lion's den like, hey, Daniel, you mind closing the window so they don't think it's me praying? What would we have said to Moses? Like, hey, you should probably gain favor with Pharaoh. Try to just get on his good side. Do you have to go contradict him so much and get on his bad side? Can't you do something that would like try to get him to be nice to us a little more? What would we have done in that time? We can stand for righteousness. This is not political. This is spiritual. This is nothing to do with politics. I've spoken many messages on politics. You're welcome to go back and listen to those. That's not what this is. There's two extremes, and there's tension in the middle. There's an extreme that says, I will stand for righteousness without love. No, he's given me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. We've got a lot of people standing for righteousness and don't do it in love. And then we have a lot of people trying to conform to the ways of the world and not stand up. I would much rather get thrown into the fiery furnace than bow down to the idol. And it's easy to read about it and to say it's another thing when it's met with the decision standing in front of you. I had a friend, dear friend of mine recently, who was wrongfully accused of something. And we had a decision to make. Were we going to cower at the possibility of being canceled? Or would we stand next to a brother? And the Lord began to stir something in my heart. And I realized I would rather die standing next to somebody that I believe in than stand up in the midst of everybody else who's just going through the motions. Worried about what anybody else is thinking. It's time that the church begins to actually stand for something and becomes alive. But we can do that in love. We can do that with power and authority. And we can do it without fear. We have a lot of Christians today who are making decisions based in fear. David ran towards the giant. He ran towards the giant. I don't go looking for giants, but when they come, I ain't running from them. 
I'm not running from a giant. I'm not running from a challenge. In fact, when an impossibility presents itself, something gets excited in me because I'm like, now it's time for God to do something miraculous because for those who believe nothing is impossible. So if I place myself in a place where everything is feasible and easy, I got to question whether I'm where I'm supposed to be because he wants to lead me out upon the waters. And if I find myself always in a boat, I've got to wonder, am I in the right spot? And if I keep going from boat to boat to boat, never wanting to get on the water, I'm probably living in fear. Thus I say, when I see the deep waters, Father, is it okay for me to come to you? And this is what he says out upon the waters. Come. But are you sure, Lord? Come. It's time to not play it safe. Before I went to Iraq a couple years ago, there was somebody who called my dad and said, do you want me to come? I will come to the airport. And I will not let your son get on that airplane. Because of what it would do to his, to what it would do to my family. It's like he needs to think about his family. And now we're talking. About, I'm talking about taking my wife and my kids. We're gonna go to Iraq. We're gonna go where it's dark. See, we got to think differently. I'm not. I'm not running from darkness because it has no authority over me. I'm not living by fear. I'm not living by fear. My decisions are not based in fear. Now you may think, well, is he speaking to me right now? I don't know. I'm not speaking to any of you. I'm just sharing what the Lord told me to share. If it, if it touches something in your heart, ask the Lord, am I living by a spirit of fear? Because there is a very thin line between wisdom and fear. And we call a lot of things wisdom that are actually fear. This morning, if you're realizing that you're living a life that is based out of fear and you're living in anxiousness, in stress and in worry. You're more concerned about what's about to happen in the world today than whether God is going to use you where he's planted you. If that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. Because we need to be a people that are not governed by fear. We need to be a people that are bold and walk in obedience. It's hard for the Lord to trust you, to ask you to follow him if he just sees you in a boat. I'd rather take the risks. I'd rather step out in faith. I'd rather be crazy and dangerous for the Lord because I, I know that the Lord's looking for people. He's looking for Christians. He's looking for a church who will live in radical faith. So this morning, if you realize that you're living in fear, if you realize that you're living in worry and stress about what's to come, I just want you to raise two hands to the Lord. Just in your seat, just raise both hands to God. Anybody else? We're just going to pray. We're going to make it really simple. So lift both hands to the Lord. Everybody else in the room, would you just close your eyes with me? We're going to pray. In the name of Jesus, we command every spirit of fear to leave. God, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but you have given us a sound mind. God, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but you have given us power, love, and a sound mind. So right now, I command every spirit of fear to leave in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that you are with us, that you are able, that where there is no way, you will make a way. God, even when it seems impossible, you can part the Red Sea. Even when it seems po- impossible, you can raise the dead. Even when it seems impossible, God, you make a way. So today, I ask that you would come in and stir faith in the hearts of those here today to believe that anything is possible for them that believes. 
fear go in Jesus name Lord I pray for the blood of Jesus to come and to pour over every mind every heart every soul of those here today God come and break fear the stranglehold of fear in Jesus name and everybody said amen there's a story in scripture about three servants I've preached on this before and Jesus uh, tells this parable and he says there was a master who came to his three servants I'm going to speak on forgiveness here in just a moment he speaks to his three servants and he says, I'm going to, there's a master and he's going to go away, but he gave his three servants three different amounts of silver, each according to their own abilities. And we know that Jesus represents the master, right? He comes and he gives you the, the silver that he gave was, was gifts and responsibilities and purpose. And each and every single one of us here in this room have been given purposes and gifts and, and abilities to begin to advance the kingdom of God. And it says that he will come back at a later time, much later it says, and he will ask his servants to give an account of how they've lived their lives. And it's what you and I will do. Someday we will stand before the throne of God and we will give an account of every thought that we had, every deed that we did, every action that we took, and whether we stewarded well the purpose that God gave us for our lives. We will all give an account. And it says that after a long time, the master came back and the servants came and stood before him. And the one who had five bags of silver invested it and got five more. So now he had ten. And he came to the master and, and he presented it. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful with a little, I will give you responsibility over much. And then the servant with two bags of silver came and presented it before the Lord and said, look, I invested these two and now I have two more. I have four. And, and the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful in a little, I will now give you responsibility over much. Notice that the response from the master was the same for both servants. Meaning if somebody has a greater level of authority or influence than you think you do, the Lord still honors and celebrates your stewardship of your purpose the same way they do, he does somebody else's. Which means the, the stay-at-home mom who stewards her kids well, raises them up to be godly sons and daughters, gets the same response from the king at the end of days as the one who stood on the stage in front of millions of people preaching the gospel does not matter whether you believe your purpose is insignificant it is whether you obeyed and stewarded it well then the third the third servant comes up and he says master i knew that you were an austere man who reaped what you did not sow and i was afraid so i i dug a hole in the ground and i placed the one bag of silver in the hole here it is i didn't lose it for you and before we look at the master's response the servant, the third servant, chose to not invest his life into the ground that he was planted. Instead, he hid. Why? For two reasons. He did not know the character of his master. Remember, he says, I thought you were an austere man. He did not know the character. Before you can know why you're alive, you must know the one who made you alive. You need to know the Lord. It's not enough to simply believe in him. It's do you know him? Do you know his voice? Do you know the sound of his steps as he comes near? Do you feel his presence? Do you know his words? Do you know the Lord? And the second reason is because he was afraid. We have a lot of people in the world today, maybe many in this church, who choose to not invest their life because they're afraid. And fear suffocates you. It restricts you. You may come to church and feel hope for a moment, but then after six days of reading Facebook, you feel like there's no hope. Yeah, don't read Facebook. Read the right information. Read this information. Read the living word. You have purpose. 
God placed you here for a reason, not simply to survive, but to invest your life and multiply it. You are an investor. You're an investor. I deal, I deal in investments, and there's a thing called risk tolerance. Risk tolerance is the fear of loss. And so you have to ask somebody who wants to invest, what do you care more about, making money or losing money? And generally, you'll find a line of their risk tolerance. This is the amount of risk I'll be willing to take because they care about the loss. Do you care about the loss? Because my Bible says he that tries to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake, he will find it. So I look at the Lord and I say, Lord, I will lose everything for you. See, when we live in fear and the Lord asks us to give money, we won't give. When we live in fear and the Lord asks us to go pray for the person in the grocery store, we won't do it. When the Lord asks us to begin to step out in faith, we won't do it because we live in fear. And so we question and we wonder, why are things not happening in my life? God, why are you not speaking to me? God, why are you not doing things and and fixing things? And I'll tell you this, it's because fear is strangling you. It's suffocating you. You can be free. And there's many Christians who think, well, the only way I can serve at the advancement of the kingdom of God is when I come to this church and I serve. And, and we have a lot of people, and I understand it, who think, if I could just be on the usher team, I would, I would just be killing it for Jesus. Sarah's like, yeah, please, please think that way. We have a lot of people who, who think this place is where you advance the kingdom of God. There's a story that I heard recently about a doctor. Um, he was at a, a, this church, and this church does this annual um, conference. And the, and the pastor came out, and, and he saw this, this medical professional doctor there putting out bulletins on the seat. And the pastor went to him, and he said, hey, doc, you don't... You don't need to do that. We've got interns and staff, and, and they're going to take care of it. You don't, you don't need to do that. And the doctor respectfully rebuked the pastor and was like, you don't understand. I look forward to this week all year because I, I, I finally am able to just really advance the kingdom. of just so into what God is doing. And my heart broke for the doctor because he didn't realize that where God placed him as a medical professional was the very ground that God wanted to use to advance the kingdom of God. He's not waiting for you to get on the usher team so you can advance the kingdom of God. He's waiting for you to come alive in your workplace, in your neighborhood, at Thanksgiving, around Turkey, to advance the kingdom of God. We have a lot of men. There's a lot of men in this room. Men watching. And you think that the way that God is going to use you is when you serve here on Sunday mornings. That is a lie. That is not what God means when he says, go therefore into all of the world, laying hands on the sick and watching them recover. I don't read anything about go to your local synagogue and welcome people in the door. Now, we need people to be ushers, and we need people to serve in children's ministry, and we need worship teams, and we need people to run screens, all things we need to have served. But God gave you a purpose that doesn't exist even maybe in this building for you to advance the kingdom of God. The, the workplace, the family, the culture that you're in, the, the, the people that you rub shoulders with, the, the person that you happen to see at the bank, 
couple of times a month and you know their name. The person you go through and they check your groceries a couple of times a month and you know each other. The person at the convenience store when you pump your gas and you see them on a regular basis. He placed you there to advance his kingdom. A couple weeks ago, I asked for a raise of hands and people responded of who wanted to come alive in their purpose. And it was all women. Which isn't a surprise because there's a lot of amazing women in this church. But there's a lot of men who need to come alive to their purpose in God. You have a purpose that's much greater than punching a ticket in an ushering team. God gave you a purpose. Let me illustrate it for you. That same doctor potentially is in in the hospital one day and a mom comes in. A stay-at-home mom. She's dying, and he, he sees what's happening in her body. He prescribes the proper form of medication, and he, she begins to get better. Eventually, she leaves the hospital healed and goes back and begins to be with her children. She begins to raise up amazing uh, children who know the Lord, who grow in their relationship with God. Eventually, one of her kids graduates from high school, goes to college, and becomes a software engineer. As she's there studying for a software engineer, she goes into an internship, and she begins to discover a new amazing ways to disseminate information to the masses. And when she creates this, she begins to go and, and submit it to different software companies, and there's a marketing director at the software company who begins to do his gift to the best of his ability and takes that, takes that idea and begins to disseminate to the masses. And then the salesman for the software company takes it, and he begins to distribute it out to all of the different reps all throughout the country and says, hey, here's a new way for you to give out information. And then there's this uh, female business owner who happens to see this presentation and says, hey, that's a great idea. I want to build my business. I'm not thinking about just maintaining but I'm thinking about investing. So she takes that new idea and she begins to sell it in her business. But she has a great salesman. And that salesman is like, I want to give everything I have to give the best service I can to the people who come in. And so somebody comes in one day and it happens to be an IT person from a local nonprofit who begins to take it back to his nonprofit. And they begin to use that software idea to take the message of Jesus out and they see thousands more saved than would ever have been saved. And someday that doctor will there be there standing before Jesus at the end of time. And I believe Jesus is going to show him a reel of the thousands of people all throughout the world who got saved and a doctor will be like I was a doctor I think you got the wrong guy I didn't go to those nations I never preached to those people and Jesus will say remember that woman who came into your hospital room that you stewarded well that you prescribed the right medicine, that you created a room where people could come in and feel peace, where you weren't afraid of what people might say about you, but you walked in miracle signs and wonders at your place of employment. Do you remember that woman? Here's credit for everything that she did because you stewarded well. We got a lot of people, a lot of Christians who minimize the place God has placed them because they look at a platform and they think, well, that's the real calling of God. It actually says in Scripture that the pastors, teachers, the prophets, uh, evangelists, they're all to equip you to do the work of ministry. Let's do it. Let's do it together. Let's see the lost saved together. Imagine what would happen if a church began to come alive to the reality that you are called, not just me, that would realize that I don't have to live in fear, but I can walk in power, love, and have a sound mind. You can do it. For all the women who just clapped their hands, thank you. <laughs> men, would you stand with me? Just the men.
men, we need to begin to realize that God has placed us in a career. He's placed us in a neighborhood. He's placed us around people for a purpose and a reason. He has gifted you with amazing abilities and gifts. You're a construction worker. You flip burgers. You own a business. You're an electrician. You work in medicine, whatever. Maybe you're a school teacher. It does not matter where God has placed you, but he has placed you there for a reason. You thought it was on accident that you went to college for that reason. You thought it was on accident that you accepted that promotion or you took that job, but you're there for a reason. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Women, would you lay hands upon your men? If there's a man standing without somebody laying hands on them, we've got some here. Come on, women. Jump out of your seats and come pray for some men. Lord, I, I ask for something to stir in the hearts of our men. I ask for something to come alive in their hearts to begin to believe for more to begin to believe that you want to use them to advance your kingdom god i say fear go in jesus name insecurity go the feeling of inadequacy the feeling of being unqualified leave in the name of jesus that we would be men that advance your kingdom that we would be men that believe in the purpose on our lives that we would be men who rise up and lead our families into the kingdom of god fear Leave in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for visions and dreams in each one of these men. Lord, that you would begin to reveal to them why you have placed them where you've placed them. Give them dreams and visions standing up in their workplace. Even those who are retired today. God, there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. So the coffee shops that they visit, the people they come in contact with, the neighbors that they live next to, the people that they can begin to minister. God, give them dreams and visions and purpose for this season in their life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The spirit realm is more real than you and me. I do not go searching for demons. I had somebody come and ask me the other day, and they said, is it weird that I pray that God will bring a demon? I said, yes, that is very weird. Don't ever do that again. Don't do that. I don't go searching for the enemy, but when he comes, I pray that God will give me the authority and that I would not have fear but power, love, and a sound mind to defeat them because the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you realize that gates don't move? I always, as a kid, I thought of, like, the gates advancing against me, but what I begin to realize is actually me advancing against them. That we are the ones taking ground. I got good news for you today. Light is growing. Darkness will not prevail. The gates of hell will not win. It's time that we begin to think that good news. I don't need somebody to tell me what's going to happen politically, socially, economically. I know the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, I'm not preaching ignorance. But it will not form me that which I read. I will be formed by my king. We live in a world where the spirit realm is way more real than what we see in the natural. And there is a demonic spirit of unforgiveness that wins day after day in the church today. There is supernatural power in forgiveness. Uh, a couple of years ago, a few years back, actually quite a few years back, there was a man I remember that came forward and he had 
severe back problems, and we begin to pray. Pray for them. And we just kept shundying it up, thinking that something was going to break. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, ask. Some of you are like, shundying it up. Uh, Luke just did that about 20 minutes ago. Um, and the Lord said, ask him who he needs to forgive. So I asked him, I said, sir, is there somebody in your life that you need to forgive? And immediately he said, yes. And we begin to walk through repentance and forgiveness. And as he was forgiving, all the pain in his back left and he was completely healed. There was another story of just a couple of years ago we had some people we were praying for that they would begin to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in a new tongue. And one of them received it. The other one didn't. In fact, everybody was receiving it except one. And we were like, "What, God, what, what is happening? Why is he not able to break through? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, ask him who he needs to forgive. So I asked him, I said, sir, is there somebody that you need to forgive? He said, yes. It's this family member. And we began to walk through repentance. As soon as he forgave him, immediately he started speaking in new tongues. I've met with couples who will come and they'll say, we can't, we have trouble being intimate. We have trouble in communication. We can't seem to just, we think we're falling out of love with each other. And we'll begin to walk through forgiveness in areas of offense and bitterness that have risen up. And once forgiveness comes immediately, love begins to come back in. Intimacy begins to find itself back in the marriage again. Because there's power in forgiveness. There's people who come to this church who I've had conversations with. And they'll come to me and they'll be like, Pastor, this is just the most amazing place I've ever been. This is just wonderful. I just love it. It's so awesome. And then they'll follow it up with, but I just can't seem to find community. I just can't seem to find people to do life with. And I just, I, it's so hard for me to connect with people. And then it will come up that they have so many wounds from people in church who have hurt them. Who have let them down. Leaders who have disappointed them. Pastors who have abused them. And the moment they walk through forgiveness, all of a sudden relationships come because they trust again. There's power in forgiveness. There is supernatural power in forgiveness. You cannot be a Christian if you don't forgive. You, you cannot be a Christian without forgiveness. It is foundational. I, my, my wife and I were building a house and uh, for a couple of weeks, all there was was a foundation. And we were like, come on, builder, put some wood up. We didn't really want to invite people to come look at it yet because there's like, it's just, it's just concrete. There's nothing to even see. Because no one cares about a foundation. No one cares. You don't even want to see it on your house. Can you like put some of the siding to cover it up so we don't see the retaining wall? But if there's a crack in that foundation, you cannot build upon it. And we got a lot of people wondering why God will not grow me spiritually. Why can I not hear the voice of God clear? Why are you not growing in my life? It's because there's a crack in your foundation. And he cannot build upon a foundation that will not hold what he wants to do. Forgiveness is foundational. It is not an option. It's not an option. Offense is the gateway to unforgiveness. This is why we must be so careful about what offends us. Because offense is not where you land. It is merely a gateway into a life of unforgiveness where there is bitterness and resentment. And today as I, as I 
talking about forgiveness, I wonder how many of you have been wounded and where you have been wounded in your life. For Jesus, it was, it was his wrists, his side, and his feet. And when he rose from the dead, his disciples said, the only way we'll know that you're not an imposter is if we see the hole in your side and the holes in your hand. We have people today who try to prove the presence of God in their life by their successes, but Jesus proved his presence by his scars. He said, look, here's where the nails were. What killed me didn't keep me dead. What broke me, look, now I'm whole again. I'm so thankful that when he rose from the dead, he did not come out perfect. He came out with scars. Christianity is not reconstructive surgery and cosmetic surgery to try to remove all the pains and the histories of things that have happened to you to try to show that you're perfect to the world around you. I am proud of my scars. I have many of them. I share about them constantly. I talk about how we've lost a child. I talk about how I've been addicted to things. I talk about losses in my life because they prove the goodness of God. They prove that he is faithful. They prove that even he can come to somebody like me who doesn't deserve it, who's got wickedness at times in his heart, and he can come and he can love them, and he can say, come, I welcome you into my family. I'm not ashamed of my scars, and I wonder how many Christians in this room have covered up and put their sleeves nice and long to try to cover up their scars, their wounds, their pains. Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. And there's, there's a man that's not there. It's Thomas. And we all call him Doubting Thomas because he wasn't there. And he says, I'm not only going to believe if I see the holes and I can put my finger in it. I can put my hand in the holes in your body. That will prove to me that you are real. And so Jesus comes, he walks through the wall, and he says, hey, you want to see where the nails were? Check it out. You want to see where I was wounded? It's right here. I'm not, I'm not ashamed, because when you, when you have forgiveness in your heart, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Jesus didn't walk through the wall and say, what cross? What pain? What whip? What crown of thorns? He says, now nah, I got proof. The scar is still there. Oftentimes we avoid forgiveness because we say things like, but it can't take it away. You're right. It cannot take it away. But they don't deserve it. You're right. They don't deserve it. You didn't either. See, the, the footing at the foot of the cross, the ground at the foot of the cross is even. It's the same for the homosexual sinner as it is for the heterosexual sinner. It's the same for the, the pastor who cheats on his spouse and takes his church down with him as it is for the mom who takes, says the little white lie. It's the same for you who maybe have been perfect your whole life. It is for the one who abused you and, and who hurt you. I wonder how many of us have been wounded and we've covered it up. We've covered it up from those around us. We've covered it up from the Lord because we're ashamed of the pain. The reason why forgiveness is so hard is because the pain is so real. In Matthew 6, 14 through 15, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will, for, will also forgive you. 
verse 15 says, but if you do not forgive, can you put up that verse if you could? Matthew 6, verse 15, but if you do not forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Let me read it again. If you will not forgive others, God will not forgive your sins. If you do not have forgiveness in your life, you are basically looking at the Lord and saying, don't forgive me. Another way to say it is by the same measure that you forgive, he will forgive you. It's really quiet in here. Matthew 18, verse 21 said this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me? Seven times? Like until I'm fed up with them? That's basically what he's asking. Hey, Jesus, people keep hurting me. How many times do I have to keep forgiving them just until I'm, 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 I feel like I'm over it? Just until I've had enough and they haven't learned their lesson? Just until it's Thanksgiving time? And he says, actually, 70 times 7, or in a sense what he's saying is, it never stops. You keep forgiving. There's so many people who are suffocating because of unforgiveness. When we don't forgive, essentially what we're doing is we're creating a prison for ourselves. We're putting one bar of the prison in at a time. And we do it so that no one will hurt us again. And you see this. Somebody gets abused by a man. Can't be intimate again. I'm scared that somebody will hurt them. You see it in a, in a son who gets neglected by his father. Doesn't want another father figure. You see it in a spouse, spousal relationship. Gets hurt by the other spouse. Can't trust them again. Don't want to get too close because they might break my heart. You see it in church. Pastors and leaders let people down. Disappoint them, hurt them, break their heart. Can't trust them again. How do you know when you've forgiven? Let me give you two ways how you know that you've forgiven. You have released that person. How do you know you have forgiven? When you've released them. When you no longer need justice. But look what they did to me. You no longer need justice. But they don't deserve it. You right? They don't. Forgiveness releases a prisoner. You are that prisoner. When you hold on to unforgiveness, you are creating a jail cell. And you wonder why you can't fulfill the calling of God on your life. It's because you've locked yourself up out of fear of being disappointed from people again. And there's many people here who the scars, the wounds in your life are self-inflicted. The hardest person to forgive is yourself. The hardest person to forgive is the person staring back at you in the mirror. Why did I do that? I, be I believe that this morning there's people here. And you've had an abortion or you've helped other people have an abortion. You've encouraged it. And you have carried that guilt and shame for many years. Today you're going to forgive yourself. I believe that there's people here today who leaders and pastors have just ruined your life. 
and you have held on to that bitterness and resentment, today you will be free. And specifically, I felt the Lord spoke to me that there are many people here who have wounds from fathers. That your father neglected you. That your father hurt you. He never said he loved you. He didn't believe in you. He ostracized you. You weren't the kid that he wanted. There's fathers in this room who need to realize that you are distorting your children's life because you are living for yourself and you're not living in responsibility as a parent. And I know that you are tired. I know you come home from work and you've worked a long day and all you want to do is just sit back, relax, and turn the TV on and watch the game. But you did not have children so you could think about yourself. You had children so you could raise up somebody who knows the Lord and you parent them well. So you don't have time to be lazy. You're on mission. So this is why when I come home from work, before I even open the garage, because when I open the garage, it's dad time. My kids are like Legos, puzzles, coloring. Right, Israel? It's dad time. So before I even open the garage, I pull up, and I'm like, dear God, help me. Because the last thing I want to do right now is whatever they're going to ask me to do, I just want to go and chill and close my eyes and not do anything. But I'm a dad. I'm involved. I'm present. I'm on my hands and my knees. I'm not calling them up to do what I want to do. I'm doing what they want to do. Come on, dads. Let's be present. Today, some of you have wounds from a father. There can be healing for you today. Number two, how you know you have forgiven is when the pain is replaced by love. Number one, you know you have forgiven when you've released that person, when you no longer demand justice. And number two is when the pain is replaced by love. Only the Holy Spirit can do this. Only the Holy Spirit can bring healing to wounds. You'll never be able to forgive them because they deserve it. You'll never be able to forgive them because you can do it on your own. It requires faith. Faith is, is the foundational building block to forgiveness. I don't feel like it. It doesn't make sense. Forgiveness is not for them. It is for you. Forgiveness is not because they deserve it. It's not because you want them to feel like you. It's because you need it. And when you hold unforgiveness, it will strangle you to death. This message is much different than many of the other ones you hear in this place. It's very sobering. And I believe that there's many of you in this room today that you have been holding on to unforgiveness. That there's some of you who've been carrying offense and bitterness in your life and resentment. There are real wounds very real wounds some, some self-inflicted some from leaders some from parents today if, if you want to find healing through forgiveness I just want you to stand to your feet I want to pray with you disappointment hurt it's very real if you don't have unforgiveness in your heart you may feel like I'm, I'm good but if you if you have wounds and they've been festering you have wounds and they're bleeding for years I'll tell you that is a pain that you cannot imagine anybody else you, 
you want healing today. We can have our prayer ministry team, if you can come up, up here to the front. For those of you who are standing, I want you to just come find somebody up here. We need a few more people. Ashley, Luke, Joel, can you guys come up? Danielle, Jeff, can you guys come up? We just need to, if you're standing and, and you need to find healing, I want you to come up and find somebody and they're gonna begin to pray with you. I wanna make this personal this morning. I don't wanna just pray a prayer. Come on, come on up, ma'am, come up, come up, come find somebody, come up. Bro, come up, come up here, come here. Come on, we wanna pray with you. Come on, right up here. We need some more people to pray. Come up here. Come on, Ronan. Come on, Catherine. Come on, if you feel, if you feel, come on, Sarah. We have some people right over here that need people to stand with them and pray. Healing. Jeremy, if you can come from up there, come. Lord, I thank you that your presence is in this room. Come on, we need a couple more people to come over here and pray. Come on, come up. Come up and pray. Church, would you stand with me? Troy, come right over here. Pray with these two guys right here. This man and his wife. Church, would you just stretch your hands forward? Jesus, we thank you for healing. Father, we thank you that you know exactly how we feel. Yeah, Jeremy, just come over here and help. You know exactly how we feel. You come and you mend broken hearts. God, today I pray that where there are wounds, you would bring healing. God, I pray today that where there was brokenness, you would bring restoration. God, wounds from parents, wounds from mothers and fathers, come and restore. Come and restore. Come and, Nick, right here. Come and restore. Come and restore in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for supernatural forgiveness. Supernatural forgiveness. God, that we would release and let go. That we would no longer hold on to the pain but we'd release it and we would let them go. If you're praying with them, I want you to ask them if you have not already, what is it specifically they need to, to, to forgive? Ask specifics. We need, to be, we need to be transparent and vulnerable this morning. Do not be ashamed of the wounds. Jesus did not hide his scars. He did not hide them. He was confident in them. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come and bring healing. Come, Lord Jesus, come and bring transformation. Church, just continue to pray. Just continue to pray. We take authority in this room over unforgiveness. We take authority over hurts. We take authority over bitterness and resentment. Come, Lord Jesus, come and bring transformation in our hearts. 
Come, Lord Jesus, come and bring healing upon the wounds. God, what the devil meant to destroy us, God, you will bring for good. So come and bring healing in Jesus' name. Church, will you worship with us for the next five minutes? We just thank the Lord for his forgiveness in your life. Anybody here thankful that the Lord has forgiven them? Anybody here thankful and realize that the enemy meant to destroy you, but he hasn't killed you yet? Anybody here have battle wounds and scars that they can say that the Lord has delivered me? The Lord has been with me. I am whole and I am healed. Come on, church, let's just begin to thank the Lord. Michael, can you turn him up? Let's turn him up. Let's sing today. Worthy is the Lamb.